Welcome to the 1 million euro stories. I am Eris. I shine a light on female founders who raise capital, especially a half million euros and up. I am welcoming our guests to the studio. Welcome. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Arosha. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Quan. Yeah, I'm so excited to speak to you. Tell me a little bit about what Quan is doing. Yes, of course. So Quan is what we call B2B um, software. So we sell into organizations. Um, and the problem that we're looking to solve is, is one around well-being. Um, quite often, organizations have very clear KPIs, financial KPIs. Um, uh, but what we've seen recently is we're having a, a lot of burnouts and a lot of people that aren't feeling too well at work. So we're developing software to see if we can not only uh, create great products and services, but we can also treat people right in the process of doing that. So it's software about well-being, basically. Yeah, but how did you come up with that idea to, to offer that to the companies? Yeah, so um, I've got a background in, in strategy um, and, and have worked a lot with coaches and psychologists, um, specifically around high-performance teams. Um, and there, there's been you know, a lot of work and, and research in this space which shows um, that, uh, you know, companies put in a lot of things in place to, to get great outputs, to get mm-hmm. teams to deliver uh, according to plans and maybe even exceed plans. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, um, companies also tend to offer a lot of perks and, 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 a, and a lot of sweetenings um, to keep people happy, to keep people engaged. Um, but there seemed to be a disconnect between all of the different nice-to-haves that were offered to people and at the same time, the pressure and in some cases, um, you know, bad behaviours or toxicity um, that existed that was actually fundamentally the reason why people were disengaged or were not able to perform or, dare I say it, burn out. So um, working with these coaches, working with these psychologists, it, it became obvious that there needed to be a solution which made people more aware about how work is done so they can catch um, where things are not working out properly so that they can actually then create better ways of working to overcome that. And, um, you know, you can have a whole bunch of perks and and nice-to-haves, but fundamentally, if people aren't treating each other right, or people are not working in a healthy way, that's what's going to um, yeah, limit your performance. Yeah, but when I'm just hearing you, it's it's easier in a, in a company to talk about you know the KPIs and what you need to achieve and what you need to do. Yeah, those are really clear. Yeah, but when it comes to well-being, it always feels like a little bit like uh, it's just too soft kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yes, indeed. And that is what Quan is trying to do is, you know, in essence, what we are is, is, is we have two parts to us which makes us unique. The first part is a self-assessment, which is quite deep. It takes um, five dimensions, more than 30 dimensions, sub-dimensions, and more than 200 predictors of well-being. It's a very complicated topic, right? And what we do it is once people do the self-assessment, it distills it down to these are your symptom level issues uh, or, or things which are not so well. Um, and here are the underlying causes of why these things are prevalent. Um, and we sort of show these results to the individual, but we also provide the aggregated view to a team so that a team becomes more aware of, hey, these are the underlying concerns in this group of people. These are the what we term as the unknown unknowns. And that's part one. Part two is we then point to proven interventions to help both the individual and the team so that you can address these underlying concerns. So you see the softness of well-being and, dare I say, yoga, meditation and mindfulness is yeah. replaced with actual data and insights about, hey, team, this could be our Achilles heel. Yeah, so it's not like, you know, when you sit and say like, oh, it doesn't feel right. And, you know, I'm not just, my mental health is not really that good, but it's just really that you have like a questionnaire with all dimensions, which people can uh, answer. And you can then see on which area it lies. Exactly. And it is, it is, it is demystifying it in a way, <laughs> you know, because so many people, Actually, when we started, we, we, we spoke with hundreds of people and, and the one question I was asking was like, what's well-being? And, you know, not many people have a very clear definition of it. And it is super important for every human being to be aware of what actually is well-being and to be able to, at any given point in time, do a moment of, of, of you know, self-reflection or whatever to figure out, okay, this is going well and this is not going well and I need to address it. And in an organisational context, it becomes even more important because you've got groups of individuals that are working together. But yeah. if all you talk about is OKRs and KPIs mm -hmm. and you don't talk about the fact that 40% aren't sleeping well or 50% have anxiety because of issues with work-life balance or financial insecurities, you know, you can define as many KPIs as you want, but fundamentally the team won't be able to achieve it because of these topics. And they're not fluffy. They're actually fundamental to success. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really find it's really good to hear that you can back it up yeah. uh, with data, uh, with statistics, with research, because that makes it a different view and you don't have a discussion. Yes. Indeed. If it's really valid or not, or if it's just how I feel this day and tomorrow, it will suddenly change. Yeah, exactly. And that's the problem with some of the traditional sort of pulse checks, which sort of say on a scale of one to five, how you feel, you know, like yeah. it's just overly, sim you know, simplistic. And which are the key areas that you look at? So we look at the body, the mind, sense of meaning, self-fulfillment and social connectedness. Okay. So you have like five areas where people can have different questions on and they answer that. That's right. It takes about anywhere between five to 10 minutes. Um, but then it gets a very complete view of across these 
five dimensions and, and quite some levels deeper, um, you know, this is how you are at this given moment in time. And the way that Kwan is structured is you do the assessment um, or you go on this journey sort of over a year, but it's mm -hmm. done every quarter. So that it gives an individual a chance to sort of work on one thing per quarter, it gives the team a chance to find out, okay, these are the things that are impacting us now. Let's be conscious about it. Let's make sure we devise better ways of working so that this looks better next quarter. And what is well-being for you? It's a yeah, I mean, well-being, the, the, the definition that we use at, at, at Quan is is you know a, a sense of, of, of mental and physical health, um, a, 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 a sense of meaning. Um, as well as, you know, uh, being socially connected and, and, and having uh, a strong sense of self-fulfillment. These are together well-being. Um, and, and so, you know, it, those things together are important to you. It's not like mental health is more important than physical health or that mm -hmm. uh, having a strong sense of meaning or purpose is more important than being connected to those around you. You know, these are all bits and pieces and for me personally I know that I tend to be stronger in some areas than others um, but I am you know very very conscious and aware um, almost at a, at a day by day um, when things are good and when things are not and I and I take active steps um, uh, to overcome uh, problems before they become issues because, you know, I've been researching it for quite a while now. Yeah, of course, when you have awareness yeah. about your mental health and what is going on or with your body, then you can take steps before it aggregates or something happens, you know? Indeed. And that is indeed what this is all about, you know? Um, it is about being in a state of balance. It, you know, there is no perfect state for wellness. Mm -hmm. Because we, don't, we live in an imperfect world. We are imperfect beings. But we can strive to be in a state of balance. And, you know, and then if we are, you'd have a lot less reactive people walking around you. Yeah, because I like that, that state of balance because that can be for everybody different. Yes. You know, for... I like to, you know, for me, it's really important to move a lot. You have more yeah. movement, but also have this quiet time that I can just, I don't know, sometimes I love to sit and just draw. And yeah. Bed yeah. And just be in the zone and nothing else, just in the moment. That's it. But that's it, Iris. Like you being more aware of that. And, and, and you can imagine if you're working with a group of six or seven others and you're all manic. And you're all sort of chasing this KPI and you've been going at it for months on end. And meanwhile, Iris hasn't had time to draw and, you know, Philip hasn't had proper sleep and, you know, you know, and whoever else didn't go rock climbing and that was their moment of, you know, being in the state of flow. How long can you go before the whole thing falls apart because people yeah. haven't been taking care of themselves? Yeah, it's so true. And for the listeners who don't know, the KPIs are the, the key performance indicators. Yeah, huh? That's right. Yeah. So and and um, objective key results are OKRs and, and KPI KPIs are key performance indicators. These are typical measures that teams and companies use to see if they're on track. 
what people are doing and how they how their performance are. Exactly. So then you have this, you know, you're talking to all these psychologists, coaches, you see it in the field, you see it's coming and you you, you begin your startup mm-hmm. and then comes a moment in time that you need money mm-hmm. and resources. Mm-hmm. How did you go about about that? Well, we were very lucky. I was very lucky because I've been working for 15 years before. So I have a very wide network of amazing people. So um, and I had a consultancy in this space before. So two of the founding team members of, of Quan actually work with me in my consultancy. Um, I um, uh, started to work with Lucy, my co-founder, when I recognised that I am the domain expert, but I needed someone who uh, understood more about building software and products. Um, so we had a very early team working for, well, basically nothing. You know, we, we did some uh, hybrid uh, coaching work, coaching, consulting work uh, to bring in some revenue, which could pay for some of us, but the majority of us just did not draw an income for, for you know, for, for myself it was a year and a half before I drew an income. Uh, we started speaking with the VCs, I'd say, like actually one or two VCs, six months into the journey. And by then, we didn't have a technical team. We had been working with an agency that had built MVP. Um, And, you know, it's that whole chicken and egg situation where um, you can find a very well-matched VC, but typically, and especially European VCs, they want to see some kind of traction before they put some money down. Um, But... When you don't have a team, it's hard to have a product which shows traction. So you've got this kind of, you know, situation. Um, So we had some early discussions um, and some, uh, you know, potential options even at that early stage, six months in. Um, But it was only once we got into Y Combinator um, that we were able to secure a, a healthy round of funding. Until then, we were bootstrapped. Um, uh, we had given equity, uh, uh, you know, single digits, but equity to our founding team members. Um, and we were really, for a year, a good year, using the time to research, understand the problem more, because we really couldn't build as much, you know, without some funding to, to hire a tech team. Yeah, so like I'm hearing, like when you started, you were bootstrapping. So that means that you would ask like family and friends um, we had, for funding. Yeah, we had 200,000 from family and friends. That was what we had for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Besides that, we had revenues, um, which was less than 200K. So it was, it was not that much. And we had a team of eight. Um, so you can do the math about mm-hmm. how much people are actually earning. And yeah. a big chunk of that we had paid to an external agency for the MVP. Yeah, because uh, so Lucy, she, you said she had a software like background? She has a product background. Oh, she has a product background, but yeah. not a technical background. Not a technical, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course, when you do your MVP, the MVP is the minimal 
viable product. product. Yes, the minimum viable product was built by an agency who I'm still very grateful for. They're called Label A, um, based in the Netherlands. Um, You know, we just really loved their management team and they saw potential in what we were building. So they were able to give us a very healthy uh, rate to build our MVP um, just because we didn't have a technical team and they worked with us and supported us a lot um, uh, to get that MVP and even helped us get some of those initial customers. Um, And then, you know, once we started working with more customers, you know, two customers became five, um, then, you know, we were able to expand within those customers um, uh, and, and, suddenly there was value in what we were building. The customer feedback was very strong. Uh, Then we made the application for YC and got in and then closing that million at the start of the year was what enabled us to then quickly hire technical talent and start building version one. And version one was released two months ahead of schedule. Um, And now, you know, we've got 25 customers. And so, you know, so so that's basically how we've we've progressed. Because like I hear you say, like you uh, went to Y Combinator, that's an accelerator. Yes. Uh, in America. Yes. And I'm then wondering why did you choose uh, Y Combinator? Well, to put it to put it fairly, it, it's the world's best. Um, you know, and it's got a really like it's really hard to get in. I think it was like our batch. It's like a four percent success rate, and um, there's seventeen and a half thousand applications. So, wow. yeah, you know, so there's two batches a year, um, and you know, I don't even remember who did the initial application, but uh, Lucy says that I had said that it was a, um, a, you know, the application itself was a really good exercise to hone in on our pitch. So I just. Um, I remember getting the whole team behind it to answer the questions and we submitted it thinking that it would just be a really good exercise for us, you know, to to hone in on what, what problem are you solving, you know, what are the key features of your product and what traction do you have and it's a good exercise. And then, you know, never expected to, to get an interview, let alone to actually get in. Um, yeah. Because I can imagine, like you say, there's there like so many companies submitting, uh, wanted to get into Y Combinator. Yeah. You see it as an exercise. You get your whole team um, to help you out, to dive in. Yeah. And really as an exercise to see, because you also need to answer those questions for yourself anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. The traction, uh, which problem you're solving is your yeah. day-to-day work. Yeah. So how was it at the moment that you heard um, that you had an interview? I mean, so exciting because it was already validation. It was validation that what we're doing is worth it, you know, and um, it has potential. It's not that it's worth it. It has potential because, you see, they are looking for companies with a billion-dollar idea and they're looking for the team that could execute it, essentially those two things. That's why the interview itself is no more than 10 minutes and then they make, they base the decision on that. That's it. It's a, 10 it, minutes. 10 it minutes. just feels, for me, it's just like so short. It's like yeah. you be, have to be on point, on yeah. the moment, on Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Because there's no more, you know, usually when you have a job interview or an interview somewhere else, 
it's like at least half an hour or an hour or 45 yeah. minutes, but let's say 45 minutes, yeah. but 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. That's it. That's all you got. That's all you got. And then, and you know, for an early, and remember this is for early stage companies, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and so the hardest thing for an early stage company, and look, we are still pre-product market fit. We still need to get better at this is answering the question of what is it that you do? Mm-hmm. That is literally the hardest question. That is the question that we spent the most amount of time preparing for. Then it goes into what problem do you solve? Why are you two the best people to do this? You know, what can you show from your early customers? And because we had customers, the interview very quickly went down that path of how well do you actually know your customers? Mm. Right? And so um, me, I mean, we're still founder-led sales. I still have on average five to ten calls a week with customers. And I love it because it keeps me close to what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we can do things better. And, And I think fundamentally early stage and maybe even later stage, you still need to do that. Yeah, of course, you need to know who your customers are, what they like, what they dislike, what they need. I mean, it's, it's really important to be on point what's happening and yeah. not assuming things. Yeah, and but that is the see, when we're early stage and we think we need money and we need funding, we can quickly forget the customer piece and be chasing investors. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Right. Because that's the thing when I, you know, I've been interviewing different female founders mm-hmm. and we always come up that point. Yeah. I don't know. It feels like this critical point. You know, you have your idea, your business model, you get your team, you get everything ready mm. and then you need to finance it. Mm. And that feeling of you need to develop your product and do things, but also you need to go or chase, like they always say, investors. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, um, because I read an article that you said, like, you know, you went from being, you know, chasing investors, being yeah. chased by investors. Yeah. So how did that go for you? Well, that's, that's typical YC. You get accepted to YC and suddenly there's a list of 400 companies that all VCs want to speak to, right? Because the track record of these companies, uh, it, it tends to be good. Like it's not that every company that goes through YC is successful, absolutely not, but they just seem to be producing a lot more billionaires, you know, and a, a lot more unicorns. Um, so, so that's why, you know, the Sequoias, the Axels, they're, they're watching and, um, and, 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 and other VCs as well. And so, you know, we got approached by more than 70, more than 70. 70? Yeah. 70. Seven zero. Seven zero. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. And, and so, but it doesn't mean that just because they they see oh your name and they're interested that they're going to fund you that you know because at the end of the day you know they've they've got their own thesis uh, at the end of the day they've they've got their own kind of uh, risk profiling they want to see certain things you know so you know we we are in discussions with a few of them um, some of them you know, that I really, really wanted didn't work out for for seed round, Um, but we're going to continue conversations for Series A. Um, 
what a big learning for us is you're supposed to treat every time you go into a fundraising mode, you need to treat it like a sales mode. Yeah. You, know, you need to keep it closed. Like, you know, we're going to do it in two weeks or three weeks or whatever and have them all, you know, lined up for those conversations, open up the data room at the same time and then close because one of the things that I've, my key learning from, from going through this is I didn't run a tight process and it impacted my sales because for every hour that I spend speaking to an investor, it's an hour I could have been speaking with a customer, mm-hmm. you know. So I actually had, you know, a process that was too long and I, I, and what, what I missed out on was traction. So great traction at the start of the year and then, you know, then nothing because I was talking to investors. So, and, and so that was a mistake. So that is a learning for others, you know. You, you cannot afford to have periods of bad traction, not if, you're, if you want to be venture-backed, you know. So, so I think that is just something that I've now very mindful of. And, again, um, you know, we're hiring our salespeople now, but, uh, and, th- and that will help things to continue whilst I need to go and do other things, right, as a CEO needs to do. But in the early stages, for most of us, the founders are the ones that are selling. Yeah, you're doing everything. You're doing everything. So that's mm-hmm. why you can't afford to have months of VC conversations if it's very clear to you after a few conversations. It's not panning out. Either what they expect to see in terms of traction isn't there or, you know, you can't agree on a valuation, whatever it is, or the terms that they're asking it's better for you to sort of go, you know what, hold off, go back, build the business, build traction, go back to them when you've got a new story, new learnings, more traction, something to show. But mm-hmm. wasting the, the time talking to more and more and essentially getting no after no, after no it feels like it might be a waste of time. Yeah, because... What you're also saying is because it's early, they're also looking at traction. You also need to gain traction because you're not you're not working as much. So that is not going up anyway. Yeah. And then you have so many conversations and you don't have the time to put into your business and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like this obvious thing when you kind of step out of it and look at it. But when you're in it, it doesn't feel obvious at all. And and trust me, I've I've been there when we're looking down the end of, you know, the runway where I've had to put in thousands of my own money just to get us through for a few months. Been there, absolutely. Um, but you're better off doing that and thinking creatively about, okay, you know, could we do some sort of either consulting or could we ask the team, look, to, to pay them a bit later or could we downsize the team or could, you know, do do whatever you can in your business but get some traction because if you're just having conversations which is no after no after no and telling you what you've already heard over and over again, like how many more months of that do you want to hear, you know? like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when did that point come when you realised I need to stop now talking to investors? few weeks for me um, in, in after YC. You see, we came out of this batch 
uh, just as the market started to turn. We're, black, we're about to close seed round, but I moved into sales mode, I'd say, four weeks ago, three, four weeks ago. Um, and I still have investor conversations, but it's not my primary. It's not, it used to be 80% of my day for, for four weeks. Uh, and now it's it's ten percent. Because are you now also going for next round or mm. for investment? No, um, we're closing this round now, and we're probably going to go for Series A in about, I would say, twelve to eighteen months. Yeah. So Arusha, thank you so much for this interview. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This was an episode of the 1 Million Euro Stories. There is a new world to unlock. Let's believe. Let's be bold. Let's be fierce. Let us open a new door I am Aris from the 1 million euro stories thank you for listening and if you want to make sure that you know when a new episode comes out from the 1 million euro stories click on subscribe on your podcast app and you will be notified when a new episode comes out thank you for listening and i will see you next time